Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Today, continuing on with our series of segments with the UBS Advanced Planning Group. Today's conversation will focus on planning considerations for when asset values decline. Uh, Before we get into our focus topic for today, just some background on the Advanced Planning Group. The team consists of former practicing estate planning and tax attorneys with extensive private practice experience and diverse areas of specialization including estate planning strategies, income and transfer tax planning, family office structuring, business succession planning, charitable planning, and family governance. The team provides comprehensive planning and sophisticated educational insights to ultra-high-net-worth clients. Uh, Today, we are joined by a member of the Advanced Planning Group, uh, Jennifer Lan. Uh, Jennifer is a senior wealth strategist based in Dallas, Texas. So, Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners, our clients, and looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for having me today. Jennifer, I'll ask you here at the start, what are some wealth transfer strategies that might be a good idea for clients to consider when asset values decline? Yeah, you know, as you said, we're going to talk about planning considerations when asset values decline. Um, You know, with the kind of the turmoil um, that's going on, like in the markets today and the volatility, we thought this would be a good time to discuss um, some planning options um, from an estate planning purpose. And so, you know, a lot of the times, when the asset values are low, it can be a really good opportunity to use some of the gifting techniques that advanced planning talks about a lot. So normally, you know, you have the IRS limits your ability to make certain kinds of lifetime gifts, whether it's to your kids or grandkids, friends or family. And we kind of use two different tools, um, the annual exclusion and the lifetime exemption to make these gifts. Um, in 2022, the annual exclusion allows the taxpayer to give $16,000 to any number of individuals that you would like, um, and then any gift above that $16,000 mark to one individual um, would go against your lifetime exemption amount, which is, for 2022, $12,060,000. Um, and so because there's that limit on it, and you know you only have so much that you can use when asset values are maybe a little bit less, then maybe it will take up a little bit less when you make that gift when the value is worth less than it maybe would be, you know, in a, in a less volatile market. Um, especially, now this works really well when we think that the asset that is depressed right now is going to rebound or appreciate in the future. That's kind of the potential that we think about. Um, and we'll just go through a couple different techniques that we use to kind of accomplish these gifts, again, to kind of get them out of your estate and, and plan for these estate planning needs. Um, The first very basic, simple option is just an outright gift. Just make a gift to any number of individuals, whether it's write a check, transfer cash, stock, any kind of asset. Um, It's not the best technique maybe for multi-generational or with really large gifts, um, just from an asset protection standpoint. But a lot of that annual exclusion option that we talked about, that $16,000 per um, that you can give to any individual, um, that's often, we see that as an outright gift a lot of the time, and it just is a way to kind of get the assets out again. If the value is depressed, then, you know, maybe you can get a little bit more out. Um, now, while we do see 
outright gifts, you know, sometimes with annual exclusion and those kinds of things. I'd say the more common way that we see gifts, especially when we're talking about maybe a larger gift, we're using that lifetime exemption, we'll do gifts to what are called grantor trusts. So, you know, that requires a little bit more planning. Um, you know, you will need to create a trust document with terms and provisions, figure out who the beneficiary is. Um, you know, it's got a little bit more structure to it. But um, one of the reasons that a grantor trust can be really helpful is that if structured properly, um, it can make that gift when you gift when the grantor who's the person that creates the trust and makes the gift to the trust. Um, when they create it, if it's done properly, it's outside of the grantor's estate for estate tax purposes, but the grantor is deemed to own the assets for income tax purposes. And what's beneficial about that is that so all the income, deductions, credits, and loss will flow through to the grantor onto their personal income tax return, but then the grantor can use other assets not inside that trust to pay the income tax. The benefit of that is that what's inside that trust isn't getting hit by having to pay income tax. It's not getting depleted. It's almost like enhancing the gift that you've made in there. So it allows it to grow even faster um, because it's not getting hit with any kind of liability for this income tax. Um, additionally, by having this trust wrapper around it, as opposed to an outright gift that we talked about, you get some creditor protection, you know, again, assuming you put in certain provisions and restrictions in there. Um, and it can just be a really great vehicle to kind of, if you're wanting to do that gifting, we've got, you know, these assets that are depressed, we can potentially get a little bit more out. Um, another option to get those assets into a grantor trust, you know, sometimes we just do a straight gift. We transfer the stock in, we transfer cash, whatever it might be, is you can do um, what's called a sale to a grantor trust. Start out the same way. You still create the same kind of a trust that we talked about before, um, but <clears throat> you make, you still have to make a gift, not, not necessarily as large of a gift, but we need to figure out, you know, how much gift you want to make or how, how much assets you would like to put into this trust, and then you need to put in about at least 10% of that value. So the gift is probably smaller than if we were making just a full large gift. Then we do a true sale. You have a promissory note, you know, you pay interest, all those kinds of things. You treat it like a true sale, but you sell these assets to the trust. So instead of a straight gift, it's a sale, and you have payments coming back to you. So the sale is really more of a technique to get that future appreciation out. But the way that that works is that, you know, we we have this, again, we have the depressed asset, and so we kind of freeze the value at the time of the gift at that lower value, and then you'll get the principal coming back out to you. So that's why it's really more the future appreciation because you're getting paid back. But then any additional growth above and beyond um, that sale amount, that, that amount that you're getting back, is gifted away estate tax-free. Um, another option for just that pure appreciation piece is what's called a grantor retained annuity trust. Again, another version of a trust, but um, it's designed so that in that particular instance, you know, instead of a sale, the way that a grantor retained annuity trust or a GRAT can be designed is that you gift the assets in and then there's a predetermined annuity payment that's going to come back out to the grantor every year, it's, and it's fixed for a certain amount of years. Um, the way that it's, if you structure it this way, it doesn't always have to be structured this way, but it can have little or no transfer tax cost at all, meaning it's not really going to take much of your lifetime exemption out 
um, because the way that you stream those annuity payments is you have it be equal to the value of the property that you put into the grant and then an assumed growth rate that the IRS kind of sets. It's called the 75-20 rate. So you get this annuity payment back, but then any appreciation above and beyond what you've put in and that assumed growth rate can go to your um, beneficiaries after the fact, usually children or, you know, grandchildren, something like that. But again, you have to have the assets appreciate above and beyond that assumed rate for this particular technique to work. Now, the main assets are going to come back into your estate. So again, this is really more of that appreciation of the assets. So with the depressed values, again, this is a technique that we see a lot. Um, the last one that I'll talk about is a spousal lifetime access trust. Honestly, we talk about these all the time. Again, it's that same trust concept you know, with, with the wrapper around it. But in this particular instance, when we're talking about who the beneficiaries are, whoever creates the trust, their spouse will be the beneficiary of this trust, usually along with kids and grandkids and other descendants. Um, you know, you have to be careful kind of what assets you put in there. You need to make sure that you're putting in separate property. If you're in a community property state like I am, you know, there's maybe some extra documentation that needs to go along with that. But um, a lot of clients kind of like this technique, you know, it's, it's more like that basic grantor trust that we talked about. You can do sales and those kinds of things. It's, this is more about who the beneficiary is. But, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if a spouse really is in need, the assets are still there because she, is a, she or he is a beneficiary of this particular trust. Um, and it can be really beneficial, you know, if maybe when you're making that gift, you don't 100% want to part with Dominion and control, and there's some kind of indirect benefit that goes along with this particular trust structure. Well, Jennifer, thank you very much for taking a few moments there to walk our clients, our listeners through those strategies. Very helpful. Uh, maybe as a follow-up, Jennifer, what are some other considerations that clients and even prospects should be thinking about when using these techniques? Um, absolutely. So I, I would say that the two things that I, you know, always talk to clients and prospects about when we're discussing gifting, you know, we talked about all the different vehicles, but, you know, the first hurdle to me that you have to get over is you have to want a gift. Once you do decide that you want to make the gift is, you know, what assets do I have and can I transfer them? So, you know, desire to gift, there's a lot of aspects that go along with that because to make a gift is really to part with dominion and control of your asset. Um, and it's not yours anymore. So you really need to like, have those deep kind of conversations with your client, understand the potential tax benefits, understand how the structure that you pick is going to work, where these assets are going to go, who is going to benefit. And then also making sure that, you know, you still have enough assets for yourself once you've made this gift to maintain your lifestyle. And that's, you know, where talking with financial advisors, cash flow analysis, all those kinds of things can really be helpful, you know, to understand like how this is going to affect your wealth, um, but also see like how it's going to affect any estate taxes or, you know, your beneficiaries in the future, but really getting comfortable with that concept of parting with it, you know, can be, can be difficult um, and should really be the starting point. Um, however, once we kind of get over that hurdle, we get comfortable with it. We, we know that we want to make a gift. We've looked at some of these different vehicles, kind of considered what are the best options. Then we also need to think about what am I going to gift? What assets am I going to gift? What do I need to do to make this kind of gift? And you really need to look at what you actually own, how much you want to transfer, and the best way to do this. So a, a big example is, you know, a lot of the times we gift stock, shares of a company, those kinds of things. And you really need to figure out, okay, well, 
what kind of company is this? How is it structured? Is it a C corporation, an S corporation, limited liability company, limited partnership? Because each classification of entity can have a different consequence to the vehicle that we put it in. Like S corporations in particular can only be transferred to certain types of trust. Trust. So, you know, you really need to be careful and, and do that in-depth planning and make sure that we understand, you know, the assets that we have and how they're held. The other thing with that is that, you know, sometimes we just own stock in our hands outright. Sometimes the stock is held in a limited partnership, those kinds of things. So understanding it truly exactly how it's held um, is important. And then a lot of the times with these companies, they have operating agreements. And inside those operating agreements are usually restrictions on the ability to transfer the shares. And so a lot of the times there will be exceptions that allow for transfers for family estate planning purposes, but sometimes there are not. And that's something that you need to kind of pick up on and make sure about. Sometimes it is possible if they doesn't allow for that kind of a, you know, family estate planning purposes, sometimes we can amend those operating agreements, you know, depending on the circumstances. But um, e even if it does allow for it, sometimes it does also require additional documentation that needs to go along with the transfer, what, even whether it's an outright transfer or to a trust, whatever um, vehicle you choose. So I, it's really important to truly understand, you know, what you own, how you own it, the title, all those kinds of things, any restrictions that might govern that particular asset. Um, and then, again, just really understanding that I'm gifting something away and parting with dominion and control and getting comfortable with that. Well, Jennifer, thank you very much for dropping by the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Very productive conversation you have left our clients, our listeners, with a lot to take away, a lot to consider. So thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today. Much appreciated. It was my pleasure. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.